Welcome, everyone. This is Christy Balsell. Today is March 1st, 2013, and we have um, a great topic today about getting more from every doctor's appointment and how to really communicate more effectively with your healthcare providers. And uh, I'll be speaking today, and joining me also is Kathy Rivers. I just want to reference for those of you that are listening in after the teleconference that you can find the slides. Um, on our website as well. So I encourage you to find the slides, and we have a couple great handouts we're going to reference today. And if you search Get More from Every Doctor's Appointment, you'll be able to find that information. So, Kathy, welcome. Hi, Christy. Um, um, we're going to go ahead and get started. So, Kathy, I'll hand it to you to get us started. Okay. Um, my name is Kathy Rivers. Uh, I trained as a pediatrician, and I have mitochondrial disease, and so do my three children. Um, I haven't worked for several years because my 21-year-old daughter is bedridden with mitochondrial disease, and I take care of her all day. Um, and so I've had, I've been on both sides of the fence in terms of been the doctor taking care of patients. And back when I used to work, I used to particularly enjoy working with patients with developmental disabilities and complex health care needs, um, as well as being the parent of three of those kind of kids. Um, so that this is an important topic. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time and energy planning and preparing for doctor's appointments, just the packing and the traveling and the amount of time spent waiting in waiting rooms. Um, we need our doctors. We need them for diagnoses and helping us manage our care and filling out forms and writing prescriptions. Um, but they need us, too. They need us to provide them with accurate information and to be as organized as possible because what we all want is to get the most that we can out of this precious time that's spent with healthcare providers. It's not only their precious time, it's our precious time, too. Um, it can be frustrating. I mean, mitochondrial disease is frustrating anyway. Many people have a really prolonged um, trip toward making the diagnosis and, and then getting effectively treated, and we're often frustrated by regressions and lack of progress. And I think especially it's difficult to obtain coordinated case management or medical care for all the problems that go along with mitochondrial disease. And to add to that, um, if you have an affected family member, if you have multiple affected family members or affected yourself, you're often tired. Um, so the, the lack of energy production makes it difficult to plan for and, and organize and get to all these appointments. And it's very easy to feel overwhelmed just by everything that you need to know to manage your mitochondrial disease. Um, I think the doctors feel overwhelmed and frustrated by mitochondrial disease as well. And, and Christy, do you want to speak to that end of it? Sure. I'll jump in. So, And if you're following along with us on our slides, we're um, on slides two and three right now. So, um, so for those of you that don't know, I am a nurse and have a master's in public health, and I also have a little girl um, named Ava, who's my youngest, who has mitochondrial disease. She has Lee's disease. And on the slide, there's a little picture of her. Um, and I, before I had Ava, um, I, back when I first had my nursing degree, I used to work in a clinic 
also um, I was a mother baby nurse and you know one of the things that motivated me to do all that I do for Mito Action and to write my book and to really um, tirelessly try to be a voice for every um, parent and patient in the Mito community is that I saw as a nurse what was possible for this community and for this disease, and I saw how little was being done. And um, I think we've come a long way in the last five years. But unfortunately, um, during the time where we've done a lot in terms of raising awareness and empowering you, the MITO community, to be um, a better advocate, we also are facing a completely new healthcare reality. Um, and the, the pressure that is put now on physicians and healthcare providers, um, it was there a little bit when I was, you know, working in the hospital 10 years ago. I would say that now it's incredible. Um, you know, my, my husband is a physician actually and, and so we have a lot of friends who are physicians and, um, I don't know too many physicians right now who are really happy that they are in the field. Um, the pressures are so far beyond the reason that they went into medicine, which was to care for patients, and the paperwork and the expectations, almost as if they, um, you know, are car salesmen, that if they don't see a certain number of patients per day, they get um, punitive measures and placed on them. So it's very difficult, I think, to be a healthcare provider right now. And then when you look at us, the MITO community, that makes it very difficult also because um, we have a lot of needs as patients. They're very legitimate needs, but our needs sometimes are complex and also can fall to the bottom of the list because there's no easy solution. So it really is a problem, and it's something that I think um, – as an advocacy group, we all need to work together to find ways that, as patients, we can take a better charge of our own health care so that we are able to get what we need from those appointments, realizing that um, laying blame one place or another really isn't going to get us anywhere, and at this point, we just need to kind of start steering the ship ourselves. And that's really tough, I think, especially for adult patients because you may not have anyone else to advocate for you. So you're dealing with your own symptoms and your own fatigue and your own emotions, and now you're having to really um, be the office manager <laughs> for yourself in order to get the most out of those um, physician interactions and interactions with the clinics. Um, so that's why we're talking about that today. Kathy, you want to um, pick up on slide five? Sure. Um, and you've already done some of this. Um, I, I think one of the funny things about mitochondrial disease is that most people who come to mitochondrial disease enter it never having been to medical school or nursing school. And yet along the way, as they learn more about it, they have to learn more about it, um, they become the experts. They often know more than what the doctors know in the offices. And I, I think your goal should be to become a partner with your healthcare provider, okay? Um, you want to bring valuable things to the table that will help the doctor do the, doc do the best they possibly can 
to provide the best care for you. And I think there are definitely things that you can do to organize and plan ahead, especially paperwork related, that can make the doctor's work easier so that, you know, it reinforces having this good doctor-patient relationship and ultimately you and your child get the best care possible. Um, this is tough. I mean, we're, we're tired. It costs money, you know, and mitochondrial disease is very expensive anyway, both uh, the, the costs that are covered by insurances and the costs that are not covered by insurances. Um, it takes a lot of time. Um, I know that I used to have a full-time job as a pediatrician, and now I have a full-time job just taking care of my kids, though nobody's paying me to do that. Um, and... And it's expensive so that you want to get, for this investment of energy and time and money that you put into it, you want to get the most that you can get from your interactions with, with your doctors um, while you're taking care of yourself or your child at the same time. And I think the first thing that you can do is to just get focused and get organized. Um, Chrissy mentioned this about being your own office manager. I think you almost need to approach it as, as if your healthcare management is a business and you have to have a plan in order to approach it the most effectively. Now, one of the slides that's there, we're on slide seven right now, says, well, what makes for a successful and productive office that I'm not going to read all this out. In brief, what you want is what can I do to help make this appointment as worthwhile as possible? And I already talked about the why, which is if you're going to spend time, energy, money, you want to get the most done that you possibly can. Um, some of the important things that you can do is to prioritize for the appointment based on who you're seeing. You're going to take different types of problems and concerns to your mitodoc than you are to, say, somebody who's a GI doc or a kidney doc or a pulmonologist. Um, you want to stay focused on the specialist's area of expertise. You may want to say to yourself and start thinking about this before the appointment, what is the one goal? What do I want to get most out of this appointment today? And then write it down. I often have fabulous ideas when I'm in the shower or washing the dishes, and if I don't write them down, they're gone. And they're especially gone when I'm sitting with the doctor looking at me with the kids in the background, okay? So if you write it down, keep, keep like a sticky note on your calendar and just add things as you come up. You can organize that. Um, you can make a list of your symptoms before the appointment and put them in priority order. What is bothering you the most right now? One thing about mitochondrial disease is that your symptoms can change over time and the intensity of the problems can change over time. So, you know, unfortunately this month epilepsy is a big problem. Um, maybe next month it will be GI dysmotility. Um, and, again, you're going to want to make the goal based on what the specialist is, though. So the GI doc is not going to want to know too much about your epilepsy other than that, gee, we've been having a lot of problem with seizures. But what I want to talk to you about today is the, the GI problems that we've been having. You're going to want to make a list of questions, and you want to write it down. Actually, 
you want to organize it in priority order. I often kind of, um, and excuse me because here I am struggling for a word, I'll often kind of free associate and write down every question that I can possibly think of and then go back and number them in priority order and reorganize them. And I also find it very helpful to do a couple of things. One is to highlight the three or four questions that are most important to you that you can't leave the office without. And questions or issues, like I really need this prescription and I can only get it from this doctor, so I cannot leave the office without that prescription. Make sure that's highlighted. Um, and you can print out these lists Give a copy to your doctor, and another thing I found very effective is looking at that copy with your doctor in the first couple of minutes of the appointment and saying, hey, let's make a plan on what we need to accomplish, because you, the patient, might think one thing is very important and needs to be done, but your doctor may see something more worrisome that's not your top priority and say, yeah, I agree with that, but I really need to talk about this as well or I just got a lab result that I really need to discuss with you as well. That way you've managed and organized your time, and you'll get through the most important stuff before you leave the office. What you don't want to do is be on your way out the door or driving home in the car and think, oh, no, you know, I really needed to talk about that, and it didn't get done. If that happens you can always schedule another appointment. And I think it is helpful for people with real complex medical illnesses to not fit it all in one appointment, to realize that you're, you're going to have to spread it out over a couple of different appointments. Um, you get more done in a more focused way that way. Let's go back to before you get to the doctor's appointment. Make sure you don't go until you're ready, okay? One of the things you can do is ask, how long do I have for this appointment? You can ask that when you call to schedule the appointment because if you hear that the appointment's only 15 minutes long and you know you need more than 15 minutes, it helps everybody out if you either ask for an extended appointment or sometimes they can put you in a time of the day when the doctor's going to have more time, like the last appointment of the day or maybe the first appointment of the morning and come in a little early. Um, or you realize ahead of time you're going to need to break it down and schedule a couple of appointments. Because if you go in there thinking, I'm going to spend an hour, and the doctor goes in there thinking, I only have 10 minutes, automatically it's going to be a problem. Okay? We've already talked about making your priority list and knowing what you need most from it. But the other thing is you don't want to go until you've gathered all the information necessary for the appointment. So if you're waiting on medical records with lab results to come in, or if you need a referral and, and your appointment's not going to be paid for unless you have the referral, or if you're waiting on a transfer of medical records from another doctor or another facility, make sure all that is in place before you get to the doctor's appointment. Um, it'll just make everything much more effective. Um, Ask when you schedule the appointment, what do I need to bring with me? Again, things like referrals and co-pays, but ask, do I need to bring medical records? Do I need to bring x-rays? Um, and this is a hard one because sometimes we wait a long time to get to those appointments, but you all know when it's a bad day. Um, let me give a quick example. Um, 
my daughter was seizing up the wazoo. It's a very good medical term, seizing up the wazoo. And I took her to an orthopedics appointment to assess her spasticity. And I'd had to give a lot of Valium. So she was not in good mental state. Her tone was not normal. I should have rescheduled that appointment. We didn't get anything done. And the doctor looked at me like, this is not the kid you described over the phone. So sometimes it's a bad day due to medical problems. Sometimes it's just a bad energy day. And you realize you're not going to be able to keep your thoughts clear. You're not going to be able to write down the information you need to write down. You'll get a lot more done, perhaps, if you call in and say, I'm sick today, I'm having a bad day, can I reschedule it for next week? If you've waited a long time, one trick is to ask for a cancellation appointment so that if somebody else cancels, say for a similar reason, they might be able to call you and say, can you come today? Can you come tomorrow? That's the way to get in. Okay, Christy, your turn. Okay, super. <clears throat> so, you know, part of what, um, as we're talking, I think, is is that it puts a lot of responsibility on us as the parents and as the patients. Um, and that can be very overwhelming, and I hear all the time from patients, you know, um, you have kind of an emotional response first, like, I'm so overwhelmed, how am I supposed to deal with this? You know, how am I supposed to know what what's what? And really, I, I just have to um, first be sympathetic and empathetic to that feeling, but then also say you have to kind of, step back and say to yourself, I'm going to approach this like I was hired for a job, and my job was to get all of this organized so that when I went to meet with company so-and-so, which is the doctor, I would really get the most from that meeting. And, you know, very effective business people know that Advanced preparation is the key to having an effective meeting, and effective business people also know that um, when you walk into a meeting with a goal, that it's much easier to get people in the meeting on the same page with you by knowing what you want from those individuals. And so, you know, I think one way that we don't think of this as patients because we look at our healthcare providers as the people who have all the solutions is to think of this um, in a little bit more business sense and allow yourself to do that also because you can detach some of the emotions. I um, I know it's true for me as a mom and I've, I've heard from other um, patients and parents that you can be so tired that a lot of your emotions come out when you're in the doctor because then that's the first time you've really been sitting there and been forced to face sometimes some things that are unsettling, you know, lab results or making difficult decisions. And then and then the emotions come out and you can be exhausted by the process of having to have traveled to a clinic appointment and, and dealt with the parking or dealt with weather or dealt with getting in and then waiting and um, you know, if you're a parent, keeping your child occupied while you're waiting, and if you're an adult patient, you know, all of that process just to get there is exhausting. This is, again, why it's so incredibly important that you give yourself the time and that, and allow yourself to put the effort in to get organized in advance. Um, when Kathy and I were preparing our discussion today, one thing we both agreed on was that you have to 
start right now and start with today. So instead of being overwhelmed and thinking about, and this is an important frame of reference for everything we're going to say kind of going forward, instead of thinking about organizing all your medical information from the beginning of time until now, um, start with what you know right now and make sure you can just get everything that you know right now organized and then you can slowly go back and work your way backwards, okay? But if you try to start at the beginning of time or at the beginning of your diagnosis, chances are you have a lot of medical records and stuff to go through or to find and you get very frustrated and distracted. And then when you're, when it's time for your appointment, you really don't have anything to demonstrate, you know, what meds you're on right now or what your um, priority kind of symptom issues or other specialists are right now, and that's the most important thing. I remember when scrapbooking first became popular, the, you know, the friends would invite you to these scrapbooking classes, and, and that's one thing they always would say is, if you have children, start with where they are right now and compiling their pictures. Don't go back to the day that they were born because you'll never get caught up and you'll just get overwhelmed. So. Start right now. Um, for this very purpose, actually, last year I um, tracked down a wonderful um, grad student who worked with us to develop the app that you can get right now for iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch. That um, unfortunately, all he knew how to design was the Apple component, and so we do not have it for Droid or BlackBerry just because um, we don't have the resources, but. The app, the whole purpose of that app was to have a way to day-by-day day track symptoms and meds, hydration, nutrition, and get a snapshot of who you, how you're feeling so that then you can go back and actually export that into and email it to yourself and look at it, and you can say, so when the doctor says, oh, you're having headaches, how long has that been going on, you can actually um, just look at that chart and say, well, it feels like it's all the time, but when I tracked it, it's about every three days, and it tends to happen in the morning, and, you know, these are the things that help. And you have a way to catalog that info. So using the MitoAction app, which actually has um, a very long list of symptoms, which I came up with um, from my book, that you can choose from, or there are many other health-related um, symptom management programs that you could use, but a, something like that so you're doing a little bit at a time is really important. Um, one thing that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about two things going forward, and we're um, on about on slide 10 if you guys are following along. We're going to talk about a medical information sheet, which is listed as a handout on the page with these slides so you can follow along. Um, and take a look at that, and we're also going to talk about um, creating a medical binder. But um, I want to I emphasize to you guys that it's really, this is food for thought to get organized, but it's really important to be able to articulate what your goal is as you're going forward and then to have those resources with you. Um, when you think about getting organized, and I'm moving on to slide 11 now, um, again, you're thinking like a business person. So one thing we talk about, you know, when you're in business is having your elevator pitch. So if you represent a company, then you've got to be able to say in 15 seconds or less um, what your company is and what they do. 
And you know what? We struggle with this for mitochondrial disease because I'm sure all of this happened to you. Someone says, oh, mitochondrial disease. Well, I don't really know what that is. And then you go, well, you know, the mitochondria, they're in your cells. And, well, it's very complicated. They make energy. And I have a genetic defect. And I have... I'm tired, but it's not just like tired, like I need a nap, I have other issues, I have a cardiac problem, and, and, you know, this is not, this is not a good elevator pitch. So, you need to actually write down a paragraph that you can say in 15 seconds that describes what mitochondrial disease is and how it affects you. And you need to perfect that so that when someone asks you, including the nurse or the receptionist at the front desk or the new person who's checking you in, or the new physician, you have that ready to go. And then quick reference info, you really also need to have some supplemental materials. And um, I, I've really tried on the MitoAction website to make lots of things quick print available. And we can also mail you stuff if you request an awareness kit, for example. But, for example, in the clinician's guide online, you can print one page at a time. So you could look up issues related to GI with mitochondrial disease and just print the symptom aspect that's relevant to you. So you're not giving them piles of stuff, but you're giving them one thing to kind of back up what your priority goal is from that appointment. Um, so we're on slide 12 now, and we're going to talk about the med info sheet, which is also um, available as a handout you'll see there. And this is a template. We kept it in Word so that you would be able to type in things and then edit and delete and make it work for you um, so that you could use it for yourself. And Kathy's going to talk about that. Thanks, Christy. Um, I'm just going to share with you my pitch for the general public because I found that if I start using medical terminology, people's eyes glaze over. I tell people that my family has a genetic disorder that affects me and my children where we cannot take food and drink food and water and turn it into energy to make our bodies work. And that seems to work fairly well. And then if they ask a question, it's like when you deal with little kids and they ask those sensitive questions, answer, answer the immediate question and provide more information if you're asked. So then I can get into ATP and mitochondria and stuff like that. But um, a lot of what I'm going to talk to you about with this medical information sheet involves keeping it brief and simple because you can't take a book and expect doctors to look at the book when you walk in the office, but you can take a couple of page document and they will look at a couple of page document. This all started um, my middle child, the one who's bedridden now. Um, I used to think that I could keep all her information in my head. Um, and then when she was two years old and they asked me to list all of her hospitalizations and it was over 50, I realized I couldn't do it anymore and I started in a very rudimentary way. I keep my kids' information in a Word document on my computer that I can update and print out before doctor's appointment. I am technologically challenged. For me, it's a big deal to even like keep this Word document up, although I'm pretty used to it now. I don't have a smartphone or any, I'm not on Facebook. So that I think you can make it low-tech and make it work. Um, and 
I think it's really helpful to the doctor because this is brief and it's organized. They can put it in your chart. They can scan it into their computer if they have electronic health records. I call it, um, my daughter's name is Emily, Emily in a nutshell when I started with it. And then as other kids got more complicated, I did it for them as well. I've got one in college. She keeps a copy on her computer and can print it out before her doctor's appointment. Um, and I ended up making one for myself too, although I was the last one to get one. But if you look at the, the med info sheet template, it's in the green section to the right of these slides if you're on the website. And if you want to open that up, you can actually fill that in as you go along. In the interest of starting today and keeping it simple, you can skip things if you need to go back and look things up. Um, I think if you're going to start, what you start with is name and date, um, your diagnoses, and your list of meds because any doctor is going to want to know that. Um, just one more thing about nice low-tech alternatives, though. If you put it in a Word document and you print it out and you keep a copy in your diaper bag or in your purse or whatever, if you ever have to go to the emergency room or someplace unexpected, like if you have a crisis, you can pull it out and hand it to them. I actually, um, my son keeps a copy in with his uh, emergency med kit. Um, so we keep it at school. We keep it in his backpack. You know, they're everywhere. Um, and that's a good thing because more information is better than not. I worry about my kid in college, you know, passing out on the street. And I want people to find this information. And it's much more information than, than you can, you know, engrave on an alert bracelet that people are going to look at. Anyway. You're going to put your demographic information, name, date, contact information, emergency contact. Put as many phone numbers and ways of getting in touch as you can. Doctors love this. There's nothing more frustrating to a doctor's office than needing to get in touch with you and not being able to do so. So the more the better. Put down your email address. Um, you can put down your medical insurance information. Again, so that, that has it right there. Um, this one I'm going to say next is very important as well. You're going to list your diagnoses very briefly, but including the most important information and keeping it to only a sentence or two. You can always provide more information if needed. But my original renditions of this were like a paragraph each. Nobody wants to read a paragraph but people are willing to read diagnoses listed by name. I put the mitochondrial disease first. And I do put on the sheet what kind we have, important descriptors, deficiencies, include genetic information if you have it. But if that gets long, you can put it further down and just put the fact that you have complex one and three mitochondrial disease up at the top, or MELAS if you know you have MELAS. Um, you can always provide more information when requested. This is only to, to make an overview. You're going to want to provide dates of important surgeries and hospitalizations. There will be a place, Christy will discuss in our binder, where you can put everything, but if you've been hospitalized 50 times by the age of two, there is no way you can provide all that information. So only put the important stuff down there or the most recent stuff down there. 
people are always going to want to know when was the last time you went to the hospital? When was the last time you went to the ER? The last time you used Valium for a seizure? Okay, that's stuff that docs want to know. List your drug allergies, your anesthesia precautions. Um, if you have a code status um, for your child or for yourself, put that down too. Immunization, food allergies. People love it when you list down your height, weight, and your most recent vital statistics because then they can copy that right in their thing. They may want to take vital statistics, but they're not always going to have the ability to weigh you right then and there. Okay. Uh, let's look at meds. It's important to list all your meds by name, what their dosages are, how many times a day you take them, if they're everyday meds, or if they're as-needed meds, okay, and I even have mine subdivided at home into daily meds and PRN or as-needed meds. Um, go in order of importance, but list all the things for the same diagnosis together. So put all your seizure meds together, put all your GI meds together. And some of you, I'm sure, don't have real complicated diagnoses list or real complicated meds list, especially if your children are very small. That's okay. You know, you can build this system. It can grow as you acquire more information, as, th as things get more complex. Um, you're going to start off by keeping it simple. You can always add more information later. If you're on a special diet, if you're on TPN, put down that kind of stuff. I have one kid on the ketogenic formula. I have another child who's got multiple severe food allergies. That's very important information for the healthcare professionals. Um, I list down the sizes of tubes, okay, how much oxygen your kid is on. Um, if your kid's on oxygen or needs respiratory support, make sure to put that down as well, any technology requirements. I have, and I keep this as a separate page, but I put down all the amounts of the vitamins and minerals that my kids get, and I'll even write their dose per weight. Like if you're on CoQ10 or Carnitur or Creatine, you'll, your doctor may say, oh, you're on so many milligrams per kilo per day. Um, I figure that out ahead of time so the doctor can just see it, and I actually update it as my kids' weights change. Um, recent and significant labs. Okay, so you're going to want your most recent labs, but somewhere down there, put your muscle biopsy results. Upcoming appointments. Even if you don't have a date and time, you can say due for cardiologist in June of 2013. You know, that's helpful for your other docs to know. And then physician contacts starting with your primary care doc and your mitochondrial disease specialist. Try to at least get down name, phone number, and fax number. Although for your important docs that you want uh, copies of the visits sent to, it's really nice to put down their address as well because they will love you in the office you go to because you will save them so much time. And any time that they don't have to spend looking up somebody's address or phone number or fax number is more time they can spend taking care of patients, which is what they really want to do in the offices. Okay. Um, let's talk about 
Okay, so that's your med information sheet. That's you or your child in a nutshell that you're going to carry with you to every doctor's appointment, every emergency room, copy in the purse, copy in the diaper bag, okay? And you're going to update it every time it changes. This is not something um, for people who are really concerned about saving the forest because I find when I print it out, I go through a lot of paper, but it's important, so I do it anyway. Um, you also need to organize your medical records. Christy's going to speak more toward this, but get in the habit of requesting your medical records soon. Like my, my kids had major big league appointments on Monday and Tuesday. Today I called and requested the medical records because otherwise I forget. There's too much going on. I think one of the slides says mito patients have two or three appointments a month. Some of us have two or three appointments a week. The more information you have in written form, the better. I needed my kids' lab results. I needed their x-ray results. Um, you can't count on the doctors calling you up and giving you all that, and they may only want to give you the important stuff like the potassium level and not everything. It's nice for the records to have everything. Um, and again, Christy's going to, to talk more about organizing these. You can organize them by time. You can organize them by the subspecialty or by the type of test. You may need multiple copies to put them under each of those things. This sounds overwhelming. It is. Rome wasn't built in a day. You're going to build this over time. Um, but another thing you're going to want to do somewhere along the line is compile a family history. Um, and you're not going to want to present that to every doctor you see, but when you see doctors for the first time, especially mitospecialists, geneticists, neurologists, they're going to ask you for your family history, and it's extremely helpful if you've already done it and have a printout there that you can give them. Um, speaking of printouts, um, number one, if you can haul that binder to your appointments with you, don't expect the doctor to look at it. But keep it there somewhere just in case they say, do you have the results from such and so, or do you have a copy of your family history? If you know you're going to need something for the doctor's appointment, it's lovely if you can make a copy of it before you go and hand it to the doctor. Saves them a lot of time and energy. But if all you brought was your originals, do not leave the office without getting your originals back because then you're going to need to invest the energy to get them again. The doctors will never give them back to you spontaneously. So make sure you leave the office with your originals. Talking about going to doctor's appointments, these things sap your energy. I often find that it takes me longer to organize and plan and pack for an appointment travel to the appointment than it does for the appointment itself, and then you need to come home and undo it all and unpack everything. Now, granted, I have a kid who takes technology with her, which makes it a lot more difficult, um, but still, it, plan ahead. Always bring fluids with you with electrolytes. Always bring something to eat. You don't know how long you're going to be there. Don't forget your meds. Okay, we especially can't afford to let ourselves get dehydrated and low blood sugar and exhausted. So if you need to pack a cooler to bring with you, do so, so that you can eat while you're there. You don't know if you're going to be able to get a meal while you're there. Frankly, you don't know if you're going to be able to be allowed to go to the bathroom while you're there. Um, so one of the things that I can't quite manage to do, but if you can take advantage of it, is if you can bring another adult with you to help carry all this stuff, 
okay? Be in the room with your kids so you can leave and go to the bathroom. Go get you coffee, you know. Be another set of ears to listen to what the doctors say, okay? Because they may hear different things than you hear. One or the other of you should be taking notes of what the doctor is saying when you're there, okay? It might be that you delegate this other person to take notes. I've had instances where the doctor has had to give very upsetting news. I didn't want my kid to see me get upset. I didn't want my kid to hear it. So the other person can take the child out of the room. If the kid's being disruptive and bouncing off the walls, they can take the kid to go walk in the hallway for a while. If you can afford to do that, that's a wonderful thing. Um, plan ahead, expect delays, pack extra of everything, bring amusements for your child. We got my multiply disabled daughter an iPod, and she listens to Barney and Sesame Street music. She loves it. It keeps her quiet and happy. Um, it was a simple thing to do. It made all the difference in the world for her quality of life during hours and hours of doctor's appointments. Bring paperwork for yourself or stuff to do for yourself. Nothing makes the time move slower than sitting watching the clock with nothing to do except get frustrated and angry about how long you've been there. And especially with subspecialists, you're going to have to wait. It's unusual to get taken right away. So just look at it as part of the process and try to deal with it with as much patience and understanding as you can. Maybe you're waiting because the person in front of you really needed the doctor's time and attention, and the good Lord knows I my kids have taken way more time than they're supposed to and have made other people wait in the past. So try to just be patient and zen-like about it. Try not to let it make you angry or frustrated. Um, one more quick thing. Pay attention to your child's needs, though. If you need to change a diaper, if your kid needs to go to the bathroom, if you need to take a break so your kid can eat, say, this is what I need to do. I need to take care of my kid first. I need to give them their meds. Don't be steamrolled into finding that it's three hours later and you haven't been able to address your kid's needs. Okay? Um, and make a to-do, take notes while you're there. Make a to-do list of things that you are responsible for accomplishing after the appointment. And make sure that you understand the doctor's instructions and make sure that you say thank you to all involved because they really are trying to help you. Everybody who's there wants what's best for you and your kids. Okay, Christy. I think that um, as an adult patient also, if it's possible for someone to go to that appointment with you, <clears throat> especially if it's a... Um, a new appointment, so there's going to be more conversation, or it's a follow-up from some tests, so you're going to be receiving information. If it, if you can get a friend, if you can, um, you know, put a word out that you'd love to have somebody go with you on Facebook, just anybody that can go with you to be an extra set of ears that can take notes, or... <clears throat> Um, because my husband's a physician and he's a surgeon and he's never available to go with me to my daughter's appointments, when we were seeing somebody new and it was going to be um, a lot of information, I would, at the beginning of the appointment, have, you know, a little digital recorder and I would ask, are you okay if I record this appointment? I'm not going to hold it against you. I just need to be able to have my husband listen so that we can then talk about these important decisions together. So I always recorded those appointments, and I found that 
what I thought that I heard, and and I'm a nurse, so I should be able to understand what they're saying. But what I thought that I heard, and then what was really being said wasn't always the same thing because I was filtering it through the lens of my own worry and my own concern. So if you can take somebody with you to be objective or um, to take notes, I think it's equally important for adult patients also. Um, we're moving on now to slide 17, but I wanted to just emphasize that, you know, this is, again, kind of um, just from me to you. Don't ever go to the clinic empty-handed. And I mean that in a multiple, multiple ways. As Kathy said, you're bringing, anticipate that you're going to be there for 24 hours. I mean, have the things in your car as if you were going to have to spend the night. Stranger things have happened, and I'm sure some of you have had this happen, that you think you're there for something routine and something funny happens on the labs, and then you have a delay and you end up getting admitted. So keep that in your car so that you don't have more stress. Um, but also, you are most likely going to need to form strong bonds with the people who are at those clinics. And so, if at all possible, don't go empty-handed. You know, I when I'm first forming relationships with my daughter's um, physicians, I will stop at Panera on the way and pick up something, you know, a box of cookies or a loaf of, you know, bread or something. Um uh, and take it to the clinic for the staff to share. Do you think they remember me when, um, you know, when I leave? And I try really hard, even though I've been waiting for two hours, to be polite and to ask nicely if there's any way that we could have an idea of when we would be seen because my daughter is decompensating and then we're going to have to leave. And I really try to be very polite and sincere about it because I can't tell you how many um, – Times I've been frustrated, but I've heard feedback from physicians just about their patients in general saying, you know, behind the scenes, I I wish I could see everybody on time, but I'm double booked. If I didn't have a choice about it, I had no idea that they were going to, you know, a child was seizing in the morning. We had an emergency family meeting for someone who was being intubated. I got the clinic late, and now everybody's mad at me, so I'm pressured to go along. So you need to kind of realize that and, I think, um, try to massage the system in order to help you get as most as, the most that you can out of that appointment. So the next set of couple slides um, are all about organizing all of your stuff. And I'm not going to read all of this because I think that you can go back and look at this, and this is actually a chapter in my book as well, but I with a lot more detail. But what I will say is I have seen patients who literally have to have a rolling file cabinet cart in order to get all of their stuff that, to the appointment. And especially when you're having one of those pinnacle appointments, like you've traveled to see a specialist, you're pretty sure that you might need everything. And so I've seen people wheel in, you know, suitcases full of records. I can promise you without any hesitation that there is no healthcare provider who gets excited when they see your file cabinet full of records. They cannot possibly go through that information with you there. So, you need to have a system in which you get it all consolidated down to one binder. And if you have to take it with you, at least then it's organized by tabs. And I really go into this in a lot of detail on the next few slides um, about how to sort and consolidate 
and then use that med info sheet that Kathy discussed in detail as your starting point, and then you can start to really break down how to get this information into a little bit more of a manageable format. Um, I think that one piece that's really important, and, and whether you are new to the process or very savvy, um, no matter what, you need to have emergency protocols printed out. Even if they are not customized for you from your doctor, um, they're on our website in the clinician's guide, which you can find under publications on the website. They're also available on UMDF's website. There's an anesthesia protocol. There's a protocol for dehydration and fever. There's a protocol for having to go without food, um, like in advance of a surgery or for some other reason. You must have these protocols. I, I talk to families, and they have had worsening of symptoms because somebody didn't know, and they did the wrong thing in the healthcare environment. And so protect yourself. Have those protocols as part of your um, comprehensive approach. The other reason why this is really helpful, to take the time to do this, is that, you know, for example, right now we are um, fortunately excited about the first ever tr drug trial for mitochondrial disease with Edison Pharma and FE743, which um, I, by the way, if you have Lee's disease, I really would like to speak to you further about that, so please email me. One thing that they need is they need your pertinent records. They don't want to wait, right? If you have a drug trial opportunity to enroll right now, do you really want to wait to speak to the medical records at some hospital where you were diagnosed but you don't go back there and then it takes sometimes two or three weeks for those records to make it to you or your physician? That's after you've faxed back and forth or waited for them to mail you the consent form. Sometimes you have to pay for it if you didn't keep your original copy. So. Having all of this organized allows you to be able to say, I'm ready. I actually have right here in my section that original paperwork that shows what the diagnosis was and what genetic testing was done and what muscle biopsy was done or not done and um, who said that I have mitochondrial disease because that's your ticket. So it looks like that's going to be your ticket for these trials. So it's really important to take, get it now while you're not pressured. Um, so, again, on slide um, 20, I just talk a little bit more about the binder and putting those things together. Um, I want to point out what a discharge summary is. So, for those of you who um, don't know, when you're in the hospital, one thing that has to happen as part of um, medical compliance is that you have a discharge summary. And a discharge summary, then, is, is a great way to have a snapshot of what happened during that hospital stay as opposed to all of the records from that hospital stay, because the chances are someone came to do a blood draw every eight hours. You might have had vitals, depending on what you, what you were there for, you know, every couple hours or at least once a day. Lots of people came and did different consults, but all of that will just be summarized nicely in the discharge summary, and that's the note to keep. Um, the others are a little bit extraneous and can be difficult for a physician to comb through and really make sense of. That discharge summary is like the, you know, it's the back of the book. It gives you the little snapshot that you need. Um, and all of this, I think, is really challenging because, again, 
you know, we're not ignorant to the fact that you're, we're asking a lot of parents and patients to do this yourself. However, um, unfortunately, guys, it's, it's the reality. There, there is just not enough of the medical resource team to support the needs that we have as a mito community. Um, and it's not getting better. In fact, it's, it's alarming a little bit how many patients there are and how great our needs are and how few knowledgeable and expert physicians there are to help us. And so when you are able to really get a good working handle on your own health or your child's health as if you was a small business and you knew every in and out about it and you could speak intelligently and, and about it in a very um, concise way, um, concise way, then this is really helpful to the healthcare providers that you see. And that's part of the goal here is so that you're, you're making the most of that time. If you look at slide 22, um, it's just a reminder to us that, you know, we still are the grassroots population that's making a difference right now, and we're paving the road for other patients and families who will go to the same doctors that we go to now, and they'll have an easier time five years from now because of the work that you and I are doing now to make sure that, A, we raise awareness about mitochondrial disease, and, B, that we are explaining mito and and teaching via our symptoms and our kids' issues um, so that physicians learn more about this disease. Um, you can do a lot also to just make the most of those visits by using them as an opportunity to help raise awareness to other people who may be in that clinic. So, for example, I can't go to every pediatrician's office in the country, but if you would like to put um, – Postcards about mitochondrial disease or brochures about the support groups in the waiting room at your doctor's office, and they would let you do that, or stick something on the bulletin board, please send us an email and let us mail you some stuff. You could use that opportunity that you're in the waiting room to know that you've left behind some materials that could be helping someone else. You know, one of our greatest challenges as a mitochondrial disease community is that there are a lot of people who have mitochondrial disease that still are misdiagnosed or undetected. And part of our public awareness effort is to just reach more people about what mito is so that more people can be diagnosed appropriately. Because how can we, how can we have drug trials and how can we, um, you know, research treatments for mitochondrial disorders if we don't even know who's out there. We don't even know who we are. And so we can help to let other people understand the disease just by using those clinic appointments to raise awareness. I have had physicians call me because a patient brought them materials. And they said, my patient told me, you know, they showed me this this off your website or they showed me that there were support groups and, and I didn't know. And that's really helpful because then you as a patient have helped some someone else that you didn't even know that was struggling. So you have actually a great opportunity in those clinic voice in those clinic appointments to be um, an advocate for more than just your own family. Um, and so that brings us up to the to the end of our um, presentation. If you look at the last slide, it's just um, a snapshot of who we are and. Uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys about your questions, and thanks for hanging in there with us. So I'm going to unmute everyone so that you guys can offer some questions and some um, 
some ideas as well, because this is really an important discussion. So bear with me one second. Okay, so now we're all unmuted. I'll remind you that if you have um, background noise or um, dogs or kids or need to mute, you can use star six to mute and unmute your own line. Um, so who would like to make a comment or ask a question? I guess I would like to. How do you have proof that you're on NORC? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the second part. Have proof that one? You're on, that you're on the clinical trial, like if you signed up to NORD, I think it's called. Oh, okay. So, like, you want to know how do you know if you're in a registry? Is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. I've signed up for it, and I put the paperwork into one of the doctors, and I'm like, okay, now what? Yeah, so um, so I think the the key with the registry is that you're just going into a big database, but I also think that it's completely your right to contact the um, study nurse who's the coordinator of that registry directly and say, please confirm that you received my information. Um, the registry for mitochondrial disease at this time is called NAMDAC. It's the North American Mitochondrial Disease Consortium, and... Um, I believe it's NAMDC, and it's managed through Columbia University. So um, that is one way to to be involved. But even more, as, as important as being in a registry is, it's equally important to have you, all of your information organized so that you, if the opportunity comes available, you actually know that you are um, that you have your your paperwork. You know what your diagnosis is. You know what tests were done. Who else has a question or a comment? I'd like to excuse me. I'd like to ask a question regarding what what situation should we address with what specialist or the mitochondrial doctor, for instance. We're very new to this. My son is 11, and one of the things that we deal with is chronic severe abdominal pain. So his GI doctor has been working with him for years for this, and really it's kind of at the end of the rope and doesn't really have many other options for us. So now as we go and, and start to pursue with our mitral doctor, I know that that's going to be one of the questions. Um, but I, I, I sense I'm almost like anticipating um, a problem where if the GI doctor has addressed it in every which way possible, I'm just not sure, you know, if that's something that I can look to our rhino doctor and say, hey, can you help resolve this, um, this one issue that is for sure um, a quality of life issue? So, you know, something like that. Something, how, what can we expect from our mito doctor? You know, what limits can we expect? Because as, as I just venture into this, I know that it's understood you're going to be seeing a lot of other specialists for all these different things. But is it really GI related? Is it mito related when it's something like chronic pain? You know, whether it's neuropathy or, or abdominal or I don't know. So that's a, that's a great question. Kathy, do you want to speak to that since you um, probably deal with that directly yourself? <laughs> yeah. Um, Number one, I think it's very appropriate to speak to the mito doctor about this because GI issues are huge in mitochondrial disease and many diverse types of GI issues happen in mitochondrial disease. So that when you're looking at 
organ systems that can be affected, that's one of them. You're going to want your GI doctor to know that he has problems. What you cannot what you can expect the, G- the mitochondrial disease doctor to do is to say, yes, this may very well be part of your presentation of mitochondrial disease. And as you're treated for mitochondrial disease with the mitococcal, with the metabolic supplements, you can hope that some of these GI symptoms may indeed improve if your symptoms are based on things like dysmotility or Um, autonomic nervous system dysfunction and neuropathy within your GI tract, or just general health improving as your mitochondrial disease is managed. What you cannot expect your mitochondrial disease doctor to do, however, is to manage all the intricate details of GI meds and endoscopies and colonoscopies and things that would be more within the venue of the GI doctor. So they're going to have to work together as a partnership. Often what happens is the GI doc manages the nitty-gritty, but the mito doc wants the more overall, how is your GI symptoms doing? Do you think his motility is better since we've started the CoQ10 and the carnitine and the creatine? Um, because it can be kind of a barometer of your child's health. So when their GI system starts to go south, it may mean that they're in metabolic decompensation and need to be more tightly managed. Um, Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense to me. And and I feel grateful because I, I sense that that is already what's happening, but I'm still left with um, pain management. And oh, I know. And it's... It's not, that's not a quick answer for what is obviously a pain is one of the most difficult mito problems we have in the management of pain. And I, I think doctors often don't know where the pain is coming from, often don't know how to manage the pain, are often very reluctant to use quote-unquote pain meds, especially with GI disorders because, you know, the typical opioids and pain meds that we use are only going to further slow down an already sluggish GI system. Um, I had one thought, though, for your child in particular, is there is a type of mitochondrial disease called Minji which you can have overwhelming GI problems with. And I'm sure that if you've got a mitodoc, that's one of the things they'll want to look into. Um, but when you, you know, so here's an example of list your symptoms. What is the symptom that bothers you the most? I do not want my child to be in pain. I want this pain to be fixed yesterday, okay? That, and and I totally sympathize with that because, If anything, we want to keep our kids happy and comfortable. If nothing else, we want to keep them happy and comfortable. Um, But that is one of those big, huge, nebulous issues that it's extremely unlikely that any doctor is going to be able to fix right away. What the doctor is going to look at is to say, well, what are the underlying causes of this pain? Okay. Is this GI pain structural GI? Is this GI pain motility? Is this GI pain neurologically based? Okay. Um, And I do not think it's at all likely that you'll go into your mito doc and say, give me something for the pain, and they'll be able to do anything for that. What they'll want to do is try to help you figure out, okay, if we treat the mitochondrial disease, can we make the pain better? 
Okay? It's not an easy answer, and I'm sorry. I wish there was a magic wand that could be waved, but but there just isn't. But what you kind of have to do is stick with it for the duration of are we moving in a forward direction to try to figure things out in the hopes that if we figure it out, then it will help my child be better. I have a couple of comments, too. Um, if you don't mind if I jump in. Um, one would be on your part, document the pain in an, as organized and thorough as a fashion as you can using a very um, discrete system like a, you know, use a pain scale 1 to 10 and use the same times of day, for example, and like create a, a spreadsheet or something even if you fill it in by hand so that you have something that makes sense to someone who's medically trained when they look at it as opposed to more of a narrative because um, as healthcare providers, we like data. We like to see trends. We like to see. And so I think you something has more impact with your specialist when it says, I tracked the pain for my child for the last three weeks in this sheet. And as you can see, the pain was never lower than a five frequently in nine. I mean, and you see these trends, and then that speaks to someone more than you just saying they're in a lot of pain. Um, the other thing that I would say is I I think it is completely within your right and not used often enough to ask for a coordinated care meeting. And even if your doctors aren't all in the same geographic place, you can ask for a coordinated care conference call. And it's, again, important to have your homework, but it's a good thing some mitodocs are willing to be the one to ask for that because if you're – if you have a, a real issue like pain, that is pervasive across every um, subset of symptoms. And part of what we're trying to emphasize today is if that's your issue, then I don't really care what your lactate is at this moment because pain is the presenting issue. So don't don't get sidetracked by saying, well, it's time to have another echo and an MRI and let's, you know, go down those roads. Stay focused on the issue and and push the other things to the side and, and table them completely until you've resolved what your primary issue is. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you both. Very helpful, I think. I think it's um, really good insight, and I feel I feel like we're on the right track, but sadly it's just one of those things that we have to, to learn to find the right management tools. Mm-hmm. So, but thank you both. Very helpful. Um, I would say for any of you also that if you don't have a primary care doctor who's willing to be part of that team, um, find another one because um, your primary care doc should be your go-to person more than your mito doc. And we didn't really mention that, but I, as, as knowledgeable as your mito doc is, I promise you they're overwhelmed. And your primary care doc needs to be your go-to person. Let them do their part to seek the information for you, but they have to be willing to have someone as complex as you or your child as a patient. And another thing I thought of, too, is that as emotionally invested as you are in your docs, it's okay to get a second opinion, especially if a doctor is saying, I'm frustrated and I don't know what to do anymore. You can even talk to your doctor and say, well, then can you help me? Is there somebody else 
that we you think we should see, can you send me? That's happened with, with some of my docs where they've said, I don't know what to do. I've talked about your case with so-and-so. Can you go see him and maybe they'll turn off something else? And it, a GI doc can do that with another GI doc. It doesn't. It can be within the same specialty. But doctors, they want to help you. They don't like seeing your child in pain. So they're willing to work with you. They're far more willing to work with you if you've been somebody who has been nice to them, has said thank you, has not been real emotional or real overly frustrated, especially about waiting. I mean, they're like other people. They're more willing to be nice to people who are nice to them. And it sounds like you shouldn't have to be nice to them because you're under so much stress and all, but you really do get a lot more with honey than you do with vinegar. Who else has a question you'd like to ask or comment? To talk a little bit more, because that was actually going to be um, one of my questions, is as you're talking about the PCT, and that's one of my um, big issues, because I've gone through two PCTs since I started talking about mitochondrial disease with me, because my first one, as nice as he was, would just keep having me go off, go back home, telling me I'm such a mystery and he didn't know what to do. Um, in the meantime, of course, I do have my own mitochondrial specialist and have been going through things. But then tried getting another primary care, and as much as maybe she's starting to listen a little bit more now, I just, like, when it comes, I keep saying, why don't you call the mitochondrial doctor and have a conversation about them? She won't do that. She's not the only one who won't do that, though. And so how do you find doctors without just doctor hopping from one to the other? Because don't forget, sometimes you have to wait six months before you even get the preliminary appointment. How do you find these doctors who may be willing and open? Um, we'll just off the side, my cardiologist also, when I went to him about some cardiopulmonary testing that I had in the fall that showed my muscles don't utilize the oxygen, and he was telling me that I don't have anything more than chronic fatigue syndrome, and my heart arrhythmias have nothing to do with the autonomic nervous system, which I had just seen the autonomic specialist and said it was. So this is, it makes it much more difficult when you go on through something like this, when you have the doctor saying different things and doctors who, like my cardiologist admitted, he's never had a mitochondrial patient and he really doesn't know anything about it. And, you know, it's okay for your doctors to not, learn, not know anything about it as long as they're willing to learn along with you. So that one of the things that when you're looking for a doctor, you're going to want to look for somebody who not only doesn't mind managing complex illness and chronic disease, but actually likes the challenge. And those doctors are out there. It, you, it, may, it may be worth investing more time and energy in looking before you go to the appointment. So some of the ways that I've found doctors for myself and my kids um, if you're calling a large practice to say, who is the person in the practice who most likes to deal with complex issues, who doesn't mind spending extra time? There's generally one there, and all the nurses know who it is, and they also know who hates it and wants nothing to do with it. Okay, when uh, the other thing I'll do is if I go to subspecialty clinics, I will ask the nurses at the subspecialty clinics where they take their children because they usually know exactly who the best people are. Um, or where other kids who see this particular doctor get seen for their primary care. 
okay? And it, it kind of has a snowball effect. The more uh, pediatricians and primary care providers get used to dealing with complex chronic illness, the better they get at it, the more they're willing to learn at it. So try to put in a little detective work ahead of time. The other thing, too, is if you're seeing a primary care for the first time, don't go in and talk about every problem. Again, you may give them a sheet that lists your problems, but say, I know this is our first appointment, and I've got one problem that I need to talk about today, but how else shall we use our time? Do you want to know more about my history? Do you want to know more about mitochondrial disease? Do you want to just look over my records? Okay. The doctors get overwhelmed, too, and when somebody comes in and gives them 20 things they want to talk about all at once, they kind of shut down and and don't want to deal with it anymore. They're, they're human beings just like anybody else. Does that make sense? Does that give you any ideas about where maybe to find doctors? It, it involves time and energy and detective work just like everything else. But if you get a good one, then you hold on to them tight and treat them great. Oh, definitely. No, definitely. I would definitely do that. Um, I, think, I think we have the power of social media now also. So um, are you in Massachusetts? I am. Okay. So, um, you know, there's a Mito Families New England group. Um, I was, you know, really reluctant to use Facebook for anything for a long time, but I will tell you that it is a pretty great way to get connected to a lot of people with similar issues as you. And I would use take advantage of that and just – um, put a post on the Mito Action Facebook, on the UMBS Facebook, and on the Mito Families New England Facebook and say, I'm really in need of some recommendations of primary care docs. You know, I'm an adult patient. Private message me. And, and get some word of mouth referrals. I think that that can really be helpful also. And the other thing that, um, again, takes detective work, but if you um, are willing to read a little bit, um, you know, about different physicians or look for, you know, this is a little easier for those of you who have kids, but look for, for example, um, conferences that are, you know, medical conferences and look to see who's speaking. Sometimes you'll see that there's someone in your area that's really a leader in the field with a special interest in something that, you know, like metabolic diseases or, you know, genetic disorders, but they also happen to be a cardiologist or something like that. And sometimes you can you can find that. But I do think the word of mouth is really important. And I also think that before you commit to a pediatrician, you need to kind of like, it's like saying up front, full disclosure, I'm a complex patient, I have mitochondrial disease, I will require more than the average patient. I really am okay if you tell me that that's not something you're interested in. I'd rather know now before we kind of like get all my records here and establish a relationship, you know? My job that I used to work for specifically hired me because they knew I was a person who liked that kind of stuff. And they said flat out, we will see all the kids with their infections and strep throat if you will only please see all these other kids. And I was happy with that, and they were happy about it. So doctor's offices know about this kind of stuff within themselves. It's harder now to spend any kind of time with what's happened to healthcare over the past 10, 15 years, but, but it's not like an unknown topic. Well, I know that the area that we're in, that I'm in, I'm in a smaller town, and it's not been a problem for getting services for my son, but it is for me as an adult. Mm-hmm. They don't. 
my primary, you know, she's willing to get stuff, but it's harder for her to find stuff for me because there's just nothing out there. Which hey, I really totally hard. second what you're saying. I think being and in the door. My minor doctor is in Atlanta, Georgia, mm-hmm. and I'm in Kentucky. Yeah, and with my own internist, he's not as good as my pediatrician. He's not as invested. What we do have is a relationship that he's willing to work with me as a partner and with my adult daughter. So I'll go in and I'll say, these are the prescriptions I need to have refilled and this is why I need them and this is the doses. And and I do as much upfront for him as I can. And, and so that all he has to do is sign off on things. Now, not every doctor is going to be okay with that, but if you're willing to be like the master and commander of your own ship pretty much, and that's much easier to do when you're several years down the road than if you're in the beginning, but when you know what works and what you need to do and when you have good subspecialists who are saying you need to do this, this, and this, then you can work with a doctor to actually do the physical paperwork part, to order the labs, to all that kind of stuff. It's always nicer if you have somebody who really buys into it and gets interested, but they're they're not always available. Right, and I've been having some issues. I've been trying to get spe- to find specialists, and I've not been able to find any, which has been frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are still, I think, really big holes in, in certain subspecialty areas within mitochondrial disease that even if you wanted to travel, you'd have a real difficulty finding people. So this is still... Relatively new. It's relative. It's not in its infancy anymore, but it certainly is growing and having growing pains. And I live in Baltimore. We have great hospitals. You cannot find a decent immunologist to talk about metabolic or mitochondrial disease to save your life. They just don't exist. So that's part of the frustration. And what you hope is that as more people become aware and more people become trained up and meet families and be willing to learn from them, that these holes will start to fill in. It doesn't help you today, though. And, again, you know, the whole finding somebody who's willing to say, I don't know much about this, but I'm willing to learn along with you and I'll try to help you as best as I can, sometimes that's the best you can do, and it can work if you're both willing to educate yourselves together. Mm -hmm. Um, For you, if you're in Kentucky, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would say it's those areas where there's not, you know, you're not in Atlanta, Georgia, where there is, you know, a couple of mito docs to choose from. Mm-hmm. It's even more important for you to help us by putting some information in your doctor's offices because the more patients your doctors have with mito, the more experienced they'll become and the more comfortable they'll become at being your, um, your advocate. And, um, you know, I think... Unfortunately, I think it is hard for adult patients. Um, I have I have heard more adults say that they've had more success with their cardiologist than probably any other subspecialty. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you have issues of dysautonomia, like you you know you're you have erratic body temperature, and um, even if you have GI issues, sometimes those can be related to dysautonomia, dizziness, you know. Um, some of those things that are supposed to happen automatically don't work. Mm-hmm. And cardiologists um, have heard that more patients say that they've found a cardiologist who was willing to be their go-to person than some of the other specialties. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so we're just about out of time, and this is um, – I just feel like there's so much that we could talk about and we could have a whole other conversation brainstorming, you know, solutions and ways that we need to, to drive this forward as a patient community so that we could work together on ideas. But um, we're out of time, and I want to thank Kathy for sharing all of your experience and insight um, on both sides, Kathy, with us today. So thank you. And thank all of you guys for calling in and also let you know that um, the template for the MedInfo sheet and the handout for today, the handout was corrupt, but I have since uploaded it again. So if you refresh your page on the website, you'll be able to download that PDF, which has a lot of detail about what was talked about today. So good reading. But please reach out to us if we can um, be of help. Um, director at mitoaction.org, and I'm happy to forward emails on to Kathy also. But want to thank you guys and also let you know that next month, Hope Schreiber, um, who's a neuropsychologist from Tufts Medical Center, will be um, talking about executive functioning and how to help um, older teens and college students with Mito get organized. And she did a study actually on specifically what those skills are um, in teens and college students with mitochondrial disease, and she's going to talk about the results she found from her study. So please join us for that um, in April, but also chime in on the support group on Thursdays at 4 Eastern time because we'd love to have you. And, Christy, this is Kathy. I just want to say thank you for all you do, not only for, for the presentation today, but for all the tireless hours you spend advocating for us as a community and the ways you've moved patient support and education and advocacy so much forward over the past several years. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Kathy. I appreciate that. Um, a, lot of, a lot of little, a lot of sleepless nights, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a super weekend, and uh, we hope you'll be joining us in our support group next Thursday. Thank you, guys. Everybody have a great weekend. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.